Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's NASDAQ Dorsey Wright podcast. My name is Will Gibson, and this week we have a special guest. We have Craig Johnson. He's the chief market technician with Piper Sandler. I've been fortunate to get to know him a little bit over the past year, converse every now and then. John Lewis, also with our, our firm, has been has known Craig for a while now. So, Craig, thank you formally for being on today. We really appreciate the time. Thanks, Will. I love being on the show and uh, happy to come back anytime you'd like to have me. or put. That's up- awesome. Or put up with me, shall I say? No, no, no. That's that. That's fantastic. And I was actually, I was watching yesterday. I saw you. I saw you on CNBC. Unknowingly, I just turned on it and I saw you. I'm like, oh, there's Craig. So pretty excited for the conversation today, especially kind of reading through your work lately, and also hearing some of your comments about the market. Maybe a minority opinion right now, but we're seeing a lot of the same things. So should be a pretty good discussion. Yeah, I mean, I'm clearly my viewpoint on this market is way outside of consensus at this point in time. And uh, I certainly feel a little bit like kind of Rocky Balboa at this point. <laughs> I'm just kind of battling Ivan Drago out here and the in the, the the consensus out there. Uh, they, they're firmly in the camp that this market can't work. And as I look at breath, I look at point and figure charts, I look at uh, all sorts of different metrics. They are starting to say to me that, this is a market that made a pretty major breath low in the market, and it's just starting to recover. And uh, the number of people that are willing to basically accept that at this point in time is very small. I would tell you that most of the clients that I've talked to think that I'm somewhere out there in left field at this point in time. Wow. Well, we'll we'll, we'll definitely get into some of the mechanics of that and things that you're looking at, things that we're looking at, they're maybe aligning and and differing, but maybe before that, just general. I think that's the first time being on on the podcast. So for people who don't know you yet or aren't familiar with with your work, may, maybe some background: how you got into the business, how you got interested, what types of things that you look at now to make your decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've uh, I've worked at Piper Sandler now since 1995, and uh, what really got me into the business is I, I feel very fortunate. When I was in college, I figured out fairly early on that I really like the market. And I went through, did a lot of fundamental work through college and those things and sort of discovered charts when I was uh, doing an internship. Uh, There was a gentleman by the name of John Alardo who used to hand me some chart books and stuff like this when I was at Drake University in Des Moines. And that really sort of ignited the passion for me to be looking at charts on a regular basis. And then I started picking up book after book after book and reading about things and studying, uh, you know, line charts and candlestick charts and point and figure charts and all sorts of different charts. And uh, started reading books by Stan Weinstein, Why to Profit or How to Profit in Bold and Bear Markets. And the more that I read, the more I just kept understanding, like, I really love all these things. And then started reading some of the books um, by John Murphy and those pieces, all people that have been creating really great technical work over the years. And then um, when I got done with uh, undergraduate, went on into grad school and then came back to Minneapolis where I am now and kind of figured out the only place to work in Minneapolis is uh, back then was Piper Jaffrey, now called Piper Sandler. So I found uh, there was one gentleman that they were running a small technical department and I pretty much uh, will hounded him like every day <laughs> for six months uh, to just to get a shot to get into the business. And uh, he gave me the shot. He saw wow. the passion and, uh, you know, let me in and uh, been here since uh, 1995. 
But I remember I started here at Dorset as an intern in 2018. Tom Dorsey at the time was very active, I would say, and he did a lot of my instructing. He spent a lot of time with me, sat down, and definitely got me excited about the technical side of markets, kind of a lot like yourself. I'm educated in fundamental side, still kind of look at some fundamental work, of course. It's still very relevant to what's going on in the market, but I think the technical side tells you what's going on right now and gives you some good risk management. Absolutely. You can use it for idea generation, risk management, the technicals and everything else. And Will, I got to tell you, I had the great honor to uh, be on a panel with, uh, you know, Tom uh, just a few years ago for the CMT Association. And uh, <clears throat> what an honor, you know, brilliant, wow. brilliant stuff. The point yeah. of your chart work that he has done is uh, over the years and everything that he's built is absolutely phenomenal. Nothing, nothing, nothing better. And wow. I just wish more people uh, would start to think about the point and figure charts even more because they are a tremendously valuable tool. I use it for setting price objectives and I use it for setting price objectives on stocks and also the market itself. And uh, I remind people that you got to play the piano with two hands. I think I've heard that from Tom and others <laughs> over the years. And uh, that's exactly what the technicals do and the point and figure charts will help you do. And it's uh, this is all really good stuff to be putting together. And not to mention, Will, I've also had the pure pleasure over the years to be able to sit and have conversations with, you know, a John Murphy, uh, John Bollinger, to to a Ralph Acampora, to a Tom Dorsey. I mean, all these things. The CMT Association, for those listeners out there, uh, is absolutely the most uh, terrific organization. If you care about charts and technical analysis and you're passionate about it, you definitely have to look into the organization and become a member. Yeah, and they also put out some some good ta- good content as well. I know I've listened to to some of their podcasts that just really bring great guests, great yeah. ideas all, all the time. That and great content. And great. It'll be the 50th anniversary of the uh, CMT Association coming up next year. So definitely something to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. And market too, I know we've we've had a lot to – to pay attention to lately as it relates to their charts in particular. I was looking for, or look, excuse me, looking through some of your recent charts that you've been highlighting some, some major themes that we can kind of talk about. One of them I think was breadth uh, really across the board. I know in, in your reports, that was a pretty big focal point and something that's really shaping the way you're viewing the current market setup. You know, well, it's, it's amazing that History may not repeat itself, but it does tend to rhyme. And and market breadth is something that, that I don't think it's enough attention from people. It's pretty uh, it's pretty fabulous that at Piper that over the years we have created this gigantic database where we are literally looking at every single stock above a two dollar price, twenty five million dollar market cap, and we can literally wrap all this up and create these great statistics on market breadth. And looking at 406 different industry groups that we've created, too. This allows us kind of the unique opportunity to really understand breadth from the bottoms up in this market. And it's not very often that we experience levels and readings in those indicators like we just saw in June. It was a breadth washout. And we have seen these kind of washout periods when you go back in time. Um, you will see the sort of breath washout that happened in uh, March of 2020. We also saw the breath washouts uh, in, a, in a period of time very similar to 2018, 2016, where some of the other washouts and the washouts and these breath uh, sort of moves 
are actually becoming sort of even more extreme than what we've seen in the past. And will we just were there. And when we get to these sort of really washout levels, you typically see a pretty good thrust coming off of these lows. And that is what I think people have not been paying enough attention to into this market. A lot has already been priced in. Breath is really washed out. We're starting to recover. And we can look at it in several different ways. But our work is suggesting to us that, and our back-tested work will suggest to us, that we could see about another, well, historically, you've seen about an 18% sort of breath uh, when you get to those readings in advance in the S&P 500. And uh, that typically takes about 31 weeks to play out. So if that's right, I feel pretty good about my year-end objective of 47.75 and what had been a really tough first half of uh 2022 probably ends on a pretty good and a pretty bright, you know, note and tone. And I think that'll probably leave markets sort of unchanged for the year. What a heck of a year it'll have been to have gone down the way we've done, recover the way we've done. And if you didn't time the market and you didn't incorporate technicals and these kind of tools into it, you would have missed the key turning points in stocks and the market, and you would not have performed well and outperformed. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a difficult year. And I think even 2020 had very different experiences for sure. But in terms of starting point to end point, a lot happened in between. Maybe this year is one of those years. Again, 2021 was was really difficult as well, at least for trend following strategies that we would employ a lot of directional changes, sector leadership handoffs. And then this year kind of has been different, but also difficult and in, in a different kind of way. Talking about the breadth thrust, we've been highlighting a lot of those in our reports lately, like the 10 week for the S&P 500. So percentage of stocks above their 50 day moving average. That was a big highlight for us. The New York Stock Exchange high low, you were getting thrust off of that as well. And even point figure buy signals. So you're seeing universes of 70% of stocks hitting point figure buy signals, which is just overwhelmingly amount of upside participation. Absolutely, Will. And when you go back and you look at, you mentioned the 50-day breath thrust, you know, we had just called out in our publication that, you know, when you get these sort of uh, amazing breath thrusts, 90% of the stocks in the S&P 500 were above their 50-day moving average a couple of weeks ago. Do you realize that when we back-tested that going all the way back for years and years, uh, we have not had a bear market rally with that sort of breath thrust looking at a 50-day moving average. So from our perspective, all the pieces are here. All the evidence is here. But yet, all I keep seeing on a lot of different uh, news outlets is how negative things are, how earnings are going to keep falling, how stocks can't work, and how uh, it's, just, well, it's just all negative. Mm-hmm. And it looks like to us at the turn – the turn in the tape has happened for now, and these markets are working. Yeah, maybe some of the dissenting opinions, I would say. So some things that are potentials for concern. I know you highlighted a couple of those in your yeah. recent re- report as well. We certainly have some on our radar. I know one, one you cited that the market's been pretty sensitive to is going to be interest rates going forward, maybe at the end of this week as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, right now we're just right ahead of, uh, you know, the Jackson Hole uh, Summit that's going to be taking place. And I guess what I would say is, is 
I don't think they're going to come out and have any, well, we can leave it to the charts, but if I had to sort of put an analogy to it, if you look at trends and interest rates and everything else, I don't. the expectation is telling us that it's not going to be a lot more hawkish of a tone coming out of that particular meeting. If I look at the 10-year bond yield as an example and look at the charts on that, it tells me that we've got this sort of head and shoulders top taking place. And if we sort of see rates stabilized and maybe go a little bit lower from here, I think the growth equities are going to work and the momentum stocks are going to work. And I think that'd be a really uh, constructive sign if rates do come back down. It also sort of would put to bed some of the inflation narrative is uh, out there at this point in time, too. And um, we think by year end, we're probably in the range of, you know, two and a quarter, two and a half percent on sort of the 10 year bond yield by year end, which, again, I think would be very bullish for equities and 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 momentum growth stocks too. Something you, you you mentioned about kind of inflation being that pertinent concern. We've been watching a lot of commodity prices lately. You've seen copper try to bottom. Gold has also tried been, been trying to bottom. Crude oil trying to find some support now in the 80s as well. So I guess the maybe some contrarians that at least things that we've put out or internally that we've discussed is commodities rebounding. Is that going to fuel inflation and then further hurt the market going forward? It's definitely possible, Will, that you could see commodities go higher. I know that uh, here at at Piper with the uh, the macro team, they're talking about potentially a peak winter oil price of 130. Uh, that's wow. their viewpoint. Um, I do see, as I look at the current chart of oil, we have reversed the downtrend off of the June highs. So we can see that work its way a little bit higher in here. But a lot of the other commodities will have already started to break down, whether you mention copper, whether you talk about lumber, talk about some of the other kind of key components in here. Um, it, it looks like it's more of a, uh, in, the inflationary trends seem to be subsiding to a degree. They're not gone, but they look like they've sort of perhaps peaked and perhaps are easing meaningfully in here. Maybe some other things that, that we've been talking about in terms of commodities gaining ground, breadth continuing to improve is that it's coming at a strange time in the year, typically in the middle of summer or towards the end of summer, kind of the the dog days of summer, summer doldrums, whatever people like to call it, coming off the selling man go away kind of Wall Street rhetoric where you're getting these breadth thrusts coming in July and August. And then you have September coming up next month, which I know you put in your report recently as well. And we've highlighted in the recent report that September is typically not a fun month for equities historically speaking, but I know you had some better color on that uh, uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, the seasonality-wise, uh, it is definitely a uh, – September tends to be the weakest month of the year for sure. Uh, but when we go through and we actually look at September and you put it in sort of the context of uh, what is traditionally the second year progression charts, um, you, we tend to find that you could see a little bit of a wash up, but you tend to be a little bit stronger on average uh, when you have this sort of uh, set up into the second half of the year in the second term of the president. So from our perspective, I guess I look at this sort of data, Will, and I would say that just looking at the numbers, September could be weak, but it's going to be just, I think, a great opportunity for a very strong October, November, December with the election. And I think you're going to find that September is probably going to be a shallower pullback than what we've historically seen. And that typically is the case. 
Um, I would just point out too that the S and P is generated on average about a six point seven eight percent return during the second half of a Democratic-led White House. So again, it, it's not going to be terrible. Um, and we've also generally made uh, pretty solid gains from September, December during that period too. I've anecdotally commented with pe- people before that it's it's rare that you actually get an average return for the year. You're typically well over, well under, but averages can at least give give you some confidence on the direction. So that's the way that we've we've tried to approach that as well. Yeah, and I think th- that is the right way to think about it because what we're really trying to do with with technical analysis, the charts, is sort of build up a investment sort of mosaic in our thinking, and then you kind of come to the conclusion that history may not perfectly repeat, but it does tend to rhyme. And by using the averages and the other pieces, it sort of helps you put things into context to understand, like, okay, now is a a good time. Trends are changing, et cetera, et cetera to put all the pieces together to really understand the bigger picture of the market. Yeah. Yeah. So bigger picture of the market, kind of your thoughts on that before we, before we try to try to land the plane here, kind of highlights summaries, um, things to take away, anything on, on that. Well, we could go all day, Will, on this topic about (laughs) the entire tape, but uh, if I sort of boil it down to a couple bullet points for people, um, you know, our bullish conviction that we've got on the market, still is uh, very high. We're still looking for 47.75 by year end. Um, I like to set my price objectives, believe it or not, using point and figure targets. Um, I sort of look at the Dow, wrap it all up, do those kind of things and sort of come up with where I think we should be. I also look at right now, the fact that we've seen the S&P and some of the popular averages come right up to their 200 day moving averages. And then they sort of stalled out a little bit. don't worry about that. Market was getting fairly short-term overbought as we came right up to go knock on the door there of the 200-day moving average. Not surprised we pulled back a little bit. We've now reset some of the momentum indicators back to neutral. <clears throat> and now that they've been reset, I think we're setting ourselves up to make that sort of push through from here to year end. Again, it's going to be a pretty exciting finish of the year because if I'm right, we're going to get the kind of fear of missing out rally to start to kick in. Once we start moving through that uh, downward trending resistance line off of the uh, highs uh, back in the January timeframe and also back above that 200 day moving average and stocks are going to work if I'm right. And in terms of growth versus value, putting it all together, it looks like to us, it's probably going to be more small mid cap um, on the ratio charts between growth versus value. Um, it's, it's, it's suggesting growth and it's also suggesting in the same sort of ratio charts, more of the small cap stocks outperforming. So that's going to be uh, pretty exciting for the finish of the year, Will. And I, I'll tell you right now, if I had to take a poll of the 50 largest accounts we're talking to, I would probably tell you that 90% of them think that I've lost my mind, which, wow. which means that I very well could be right. <laughs> now nah, I'm just being a little tongue in cheek. <laughs> But in honestly, there's a lot of pushback, and I can understand why there's the pushback with the economic environment, with the what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening in all these uh, uh, happening with, uh, you know, the COVID breakouts in Asia that are still a problem at this point in time. There's a lot of negative things out there, and there's a lot of negative headlines and everything else. But I think what we have to recognize is that a lot of this has already been priced into the market well. If you look mm-hmm. at something like uh, 
the the XHB, the housing index. I mean, it was down over 40% peak to trough. If I look at the 20 largest stocks in the XLY, uh, they were down peak to trough over 35% peak to trough, and they started to recover. So, you know, again, you look at the market, you're kind of, you come to the conclusion that my friend Sam Stovall would say is, you know, one doesn't get hurt falling out of basement windows. And you really just shouldn't be thinking about stocks that are down 50% or more. They're going to be down 60, 70%. Because a lot of those names, these are names like Home Depot. These are names that are very, very well-known, really quality companies out there. But the downturn uh, has largely already been priced into a lot of these names. And that's what I think we have to recognize. Instead of trying to extrapolate out just this negative scenario for longer than we should be. And again, the charts are beautiful, Will, as you well know, helping us identify those changes in inflection points in terms of sentiment, tone, and valuation, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I know for the longest time when I was here, there would be really, I mean, there, there was no news TV on or anything like that. It was, it was very much of that headlines can be very noisy. A lot of just daily data coming through is going to attribute to really market noise and no real directional drivers. So I know that was something that was hammered into me pretty early when I started here and started looking at markets as well. And I think that was a pretty clear tone as well, because you're looking at the data here, looking at what the market's done before and using that to inform your decision going forward. And I I'm I'm also glad that you mentioned the small cap point. That was something that I definitely wanted to bring up, but it escaped me earlier. We've been putting a couple pieces in the report about the leadership from small caps, how at least over the past 15 or 20 years, you've seen them kind of lead out of these beat up market environments, naturally a bit more risk on, a bit more sensitive to the economy, if you want to say that, or risk appetite, they kind of gauge risk appetite a bit more. So you mentioned favorable relative strength there. Also great participation from what we've seen. Yeah, and well, a lot of those uh, smaller mid-cap names, they tend to get beaten up more on the way down uh, than the larger cap names because you tend to see the large cap names sort of hold up as people you know, view the quote-unquote blue chip names as the safest place to be, et cetera, et cetera. And then those are the ones that usually get sold last. And so, therefore, uh, this is why I think you typically see those small mid-cap names sort of lead off the lows. Also, Will, we shouldn't, uh, you know, pass up the opportunity to talk about the XBI, too. I mean, the XBI and the biotech index has really gotten washed out. In fact, the downturn in the XBI started in about February of 2021 and uh, was 170-ish at the upper end, uh, 60-ish toward the lower end. Now you're trading back into the 90s. Uh, I think your point and figure chart suggests that you could be back up into the mid 120s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but a great downtrend reversal and your 50 day moving average is very close to now crossing back above your 200 days. So, again, another indication of sort of risk on in this market, too, would be biotech, which right now, if you talk to people about everything that's happening out here and you say you need to go buy biotech stocks, I mean, they really think you've lost your, your, <laughs> your mind. Because they view that as such a risky proposition to go out and buy biotech stocks, but they fail to to understand that we want to be greedy when people are fearful and fearful when people are greedy. And right now, people are sort of in that fear uh, conundrum at this point in time. And 
they they can't buy some of these things. And this is really well when I want to buy these things there. I'm sure people, listeners of this podcast will be really appreciative of that lot. Like I am, thanks for spending the time with myself over the past year or so. And also like this to share your wisdom and thoughts. Thanks, Will, for having me and happy to come back anytime. And uh, I hope to see Tom next time I'm in Richmond. All right, Craig. Well, thank you again for being on. Thank you, everybody else, for listening to this week's podcast. If you have any questions for us, don't hesitate to reach out per usual. Other than that, I hope you all have a great weekend.